Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewelry that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. It's Friday, May 26th. This week, we dropped our brand new report on the state of the global beauty industry as part of our regular series of reports in partnership with McKinsey & Company. 
The report breaks down five critical themes which will define the beauty industry over the next few years. From the new growth map to the impact of the wellness industry, from decoding Gen Z to the scale imperative and a flurry of mergers and acquisitions, as the dominant players seek to stay relevant and connected to customers by scooping up startups that are finding a way to connect. In this conversation, I sit down with Priya Rao, our executive editor of The Business of Beauty, and one of the key authors of the report to go inside the findings. Here's Priya Rao on the state of the global beauty industry on the BOF podcast. Well, Priya, it's such a pleasure to welcome you to the BOF podcast. You joined the BOF team back in December, but it's taken some time to get you here on the show. And there's no better occasion than the release of this new report, this 80-page authoritative analysis, the State of Fashion Beauty Report that we worked on for several months now with McKinsey. And before we dive into the five themes that kind of make up the overall structure of the report that are really our take on where the beauty industry is going in the next five years or so. I just wanted to start by getting your assessment of the beauty industry today. We're operating at such a unique and uncertain time in the world on so many dimensions. Like As you were entering the process of creating this report, what were the things on your mind Thank you, Imran, so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here and it's wonderful to be at the Business of Fashion. I think when we were going into this report, one of the things that I was thinking about was that uncertainty, that murkiness that is kind of hovering over beauty and the wider world. But what we realize is that beauty remains one of the most dynamic and challenging and sought after industries, much more than I think other consumer goods or even fashion. What we've seen is that consumers are still rapid and fervent for their beauty products. You can see that on TikTok, and they are cycling through more and more brands every single day. And I think brands are still really excited about bringing a new proposition to market. Investors equally are willing to bet on these brands, invest in these brands, and conglomerates are willing to take bets, but maybe they're smaller bets than the way they were before. I think overall, it's going to be challenged like many other industries, but because of the structure of the business and how dynamic and how fast it is, beauty is slowing down, but not by that much. Got it. So we decided to approach this report in a similar fashion as we've done some of the other reports in the series. We did a report last year on the technology industry and how that's intersecting with fashion. We did a report the year earlier on watches and jewelry. And of course, for many, many years now, we've been doing the core annual report on the state of fashion. And each of those reports has a set of themes that kind of create the overall structure. And what I wanted to do in this conversation was really to just go a bit deeper into some of these themes. And it's really appropriate to start with the theme called the new growth map, because one of the things that we observed about coverage of the beauty industry is that a lot of the coverage about beauty is through a very specific geographic lens, usually an American lens, a Western lens. But over the last decade, China emerged as this like super, super important geography for companies to think about. And then, of course, with everything that's been going on in the world, A growth playbook focused solely on China doesn't make sense anymore. So talk to us about the new growth map. What does it look like? What are the geographies that 
companies need to be thinking about? And what are the differences that we should know about these markets as we go after them? You're absolutely right, Imran. I think China has been the Hail Mary for many of these beauty brands over the last decade. There's a reason why so many conglomerates, especially like L'Oreal and the Estee Lauder companies, place such big bets there. But what we've seen from recent earnings, and especially because of the economic climate, is that we cannot count on China to deliver the double-digit growth that it was the last decade. Things have slowed significantly since COVID, and they have not rebounded yet. All the while, we're seeing the rise of sea beauty brands, Chinese-based beauty brands like Florasis or The Perfect Diary, who are coming to market and speaking to the Chinese consumer in a much more effective, direct way. And I think that's been really attractive to, you know, the younger consumer and the rising middle class, that they have a brand that speaks to them directly. What is it that the Chinese brands understand and are doing in the market that some of the Western brands aren't getting? Because it's not like I think we're saying that the Chinese market is still going to grow at 8% per year. It's not like this market is stagnant. It's still growing. What are those Chinese brands doing to capture market share there, to capture more of that growth than, say, the international brands? I think what we're seeing from these Chinese-based brands is that they really are relying on their heritage. They're relying on the ritual of Chinese beauty. They're relying on deep and beautiful color, things that, you know, maybe have not been seen in the minimalistic beauty brands that you've seen in Europe or the U.S. They're really leaning on their heritage, which I think we have not seen before. And we can see how powerful that can be. I mean, look at other markets like L'Oreal Paris had a dominant force in the market because they were known as a French brand. Shiseido, same way as being born a Japanese brand. China has kind of come to the realization that they should have a brand and brands that do the exact same thing. And do you think these kinds of Chinese brands just to turn things around, are also interested in going global? Absolutely. I mean, we're seeing that with Florasis. They have a big multinational, international consumer. They're really thinking about their pop-up strategy in other markets like Europe and the US and Africa. So I think it's only going to be about a matter of time that they also want to play globally. That's interesting because that's also something we're seeing in the fashion industry where more Chinese native brands are trying to break into the international market. So let's move to the U.S. market for a minute because it's not like the U.S. market is slowing down either. It's still projected to grow at 6% per year to over a $100 billion market in 2027. That makes it the biggest growth driver for multinational brands. But what are the dynamics happening in the U.S. market that we should know about? Well, certainly the small and mid-sized brands are going to continue to pop up and grow and, you know, gain buzz and marketing exposure at places like Sephora and Ulta. But I think what's interesting here is that we're seeing a lot of multinational brands come to the U.S. and reinforce their U.S. position. Amore Pacific, for instance, is finally taking a very serious look at the U.S. That's the number one brand in Korea, and yet they don't have very much of a presence here in the U.S., I would say the same thing about Pierre Fabre's brand. They own many of the French pharmacy brands. I believe Aven is the number two skincare brand in the world, but within the U.S., I think they're maybe number 18 or 20. So it's clear that these brands that maybe have lots of regional support and exposure need to expand to the U.S. to grow overall. I think also what's happening in the U.S. is the channel mix has become so 
complicated. We went through the whole D to C era where everyone wanted to just be, own the narrative and own the conversation. And now that really doesn't exist. D to C companies are launching on the same day of them launching online, they're launching with the Sephora and Ulta. So nailing down that mix, especially when there's so much consolidation with Sephora going into Kohl's or Ulta going into Target and Space and K going into Walmart, has been very critical, I think, to brand success and growth going forward. And then finally, we can't forget about India and the Middle East. This year, India becomes the most populous country in the world. You know, its economy is projected to become the third largest economy in the world by 2027, while the Middle East is having a huge growth spurt. There's been so much happening in those regions. What do we need to know about how beauty companies are looking at the markets in India and the Middle East? Well, India is certainly like their rising middle class is something that we should not ignore. And the fact that they have so many younger customers, so many younger customers that are so digitally oriented. You know, I think the playbook of launching into stores and then maybe doing online that you've seen in Europe or the U.S., it just doesn't apply there. I think companies like Nike have totally upended what beauty companies can do. And I think it's very, very important for companies from the U.S. or otherwise homegrown brands to really own that digital conversation. I mean, you're seeing it with brands like Sugar Cosmetics. India, too, is seeing a rise of Indian native brands, and they are speaking to the customer in a much more effective way than I think these older legacy conglomerates. With the Middle East, I think we're seeing a little bit something different. We're seeing the growing population and the younger population of local residents. We're also seeing a rise of expats there, which is distributing, you know, high net worth consumers who are really interested in beauty. It's always been a very beauty-focused market, but now we're seeing the local generations and the local residents really drive up and want to participate in a way they think that they haven't before. Well, what's exciting to me, Priya, is so many of the companies you've just mentioned as like shaping the future of beauty in these markets, Florasis, Omori Pacific, and others, they're all going to be at our Global Beauty Forum. So for everyone tuning in, make sure you sign up to the Business of Beauty Global Forum, which is happening on May 30th and 31st. And we'll put a link in the episode notes for all of you to do that. Let's move to the next theme from the report, which is called Wellness Awakens. What do we need to know and understand about how the wellness industry and the beauty industry are intersecting? Well, I think we've seen a confluence, really. I think we've gone from just wanting to look good using lipstick and fragrance and skincare to wanting products to make us feel good. And so we are seeing the rise of self-care, the rise of holistic well-being. We're moving from that aesthetic perfection that maybe people saw on Instagram to maybe a more inclusive view of what beauty can be. In 2022, the U.S. wellness market was worth $450 billion. China is a close second at $350 to $400 billion. And I think what we're seeing is that that's a huge opportunity for wellness brands specifically, but also for the broader beauty world. I think what's interesting about wellness is it encompasses so many different things. We're seeing the ingestible market rise. We're seeing sexual wellness lines pop up every single day. We're seeing traditional medicines like Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine, brands that lean on those narratives come up. And also, of course, wellness tools like sleep devices, like the Aura Ring, really become popular in this market. I think what we need to see here is like 
who really gets credibility and how they build credibility in this space. Because right now people are buying wellness from Sephora, Ulta, department stores, Space and K, and they're also buying it from the vitamin shop or Whole Foods or, you know, food and drug areas that have a niche in healthy well-being. So there isn't necessarily a credible source to say, like, we own wellness and that we are going to give you the best of the best assortment. Right now, beauty retailers are trying to do that. But for them, it's still a very small space of the aisle and also their online assortment. So it really needs to grow and become a part of the public consciousness for these retailers to win. I think particularly that we also need authorities like dermatologists. What dermatologists have done for skincare or estheticians have done for skincare, we need that in wellness, you know, whether it's biologists, whether it's Ayurvedic practitioners. We need people to be maybe kind of what Amanda Chantal Bacon was with Moon Juice, you know, several years ago. Those people are few and far between. And I think that the way that wellness really grows is with credibility, both by the retailer side and also from the people who are founding these brands and selling these products. Yeah, that really resonates with me because at least from my outsider's perspective, the word wellness is being used everywhere. Like, what does that really even mean? And like, everyone can just market their products using wellness as a tagline or health and wellness. And I think what's hard for people to navigate, myself included, is like, what's genuinely good for you? What has real properties and benefits that are good for me, that is good for my health, that's going to make me, as you say, feel better, but also just going to contribute to my overall sense of well-being? And what's just marketing bullshit? There's a lot of marketing bullshit. You see it all the time. You know, I think there are categories like skincare or hair care that naturally lend themselves more to the conversation around well-being. But, you know, when a makeup line says they offer skincare benefits with a tinted moisturizer and that's supposed to be self-care and wellness, I mean, that's bullshit. That's all marketing. And so I think that we have to be careful because for people who are really interested in this category, I think there's plenty of opportunity. But Right now, they're not getting the space or the airtime, I think, to really share their narrative, explain it, and get the support behind retailers and investors. We'll be right back with more on the BOF Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. 
The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Okay, theme number three is called Decoding Gen Z. And we know from markets like India, markets like the Middle East, of course in the US and Europe, younger customers are really going to define the future of the beauty industry. How do Gen Z customers engage with the beauty industry differently than people like you and me or people who are even older than us? Well, I think certainly they're very digitally savvy. TikTok is their holy grail. They're finding products there. They are cycling through products there. And I think we assume that they are so digitally fixated that they're only buying online. But that's actually not true. And I think this is the one thing about decoding Gen Z is that they're still in flux. I mean, they're ages 11 to 26. So they're still coming to understand their values and purchasing habits and what they care about in beauty. So like I said, I think TikTok is a very big driver of that. But they also really care about experiencing in store. And I think what we found is that about 41% of Gen Zers use beauty stores for discovery. That's about the same as millennials or boomers. So I think that we really need to be careful about some of the taglines that we've attached to Gen Z. Another one I think is really interesting is that they're so socially conscious. They care about climate change. They care about DE&I. They care about gender fluidity. And they do, but they also are not willing to pay a premium on those products. A great example of this is that Gen Z obviously cares very much about sustainability, but they are still buying Xi'an. They still love that brand and they're doing it because it's the right price point. I think we can see that very clearly in beauty too. The rise of dupes, brands like Elf, brands like Milani have really popped because they are giving the best experience to beauty consumers, but they also check those boxes of being socially conscious and value-driven and 
they care about their customers. So I think it's something that we really need to watch and something I'm really excited about to see. Because like I said, maybe the 18 to 26 year olds have a little bit more down pat, but the 11 year olds, I mean, we have no idea yet. They're not even buying their own makeup. The last thing I would say is that because of TikTok and because of the rise of how quickly trends are coming and going, I think we assume that Gen Z is not loyal and they're not loyal to brands and they're not loyal to products. But what we've seen is that once they find a product they really like, 60% of them go back to that same product. I think an example is like the way that they are so crazy about Rare Beauty, which is Selena Gomez's brand. I don't think there's been a negative thing about Rare Beauty said on TikTok just because the fans and the consumers are just so devout. And that brand continues to do well at Space and K, at Sephora here in the U.S., and it's basically become Gen Z's favorite brand. So what is it about Rare Beauty that makes it resonate so much with that cohort? Well, I mean, I think certainly Selena is a very compelling character. She's part of the brand. Her mission is behind the brand. And she's seen in a lot of advertising and marketing. At the same time, she's not in your face. She's not upselling you. She is not telling you you're not good enough. She's not saying use this product to feel better. Rare Beauty also has a very key component around mental health. You have their Rare Beauty Fund. They had working groups with small groups of individuals during COVID so they could talk about mental health. Selena obviously has been very outspoken about her mental health issues. And so for all of that to come together, the product's great, but it also has purpose. And that really resonates to consumers today. Yeah, I think the idea of purpose-driven brands, I mean, we talk about that a lot at BOF generally. But it seems like it's so much more important to that younger Generation Z cohort because it's as important to them as the effectiveness of the product or the customer experience in the store. They really want to buy into things that they believe in. Absolutely. And I think they're also much savvier than millennials or boomers in the sense that they know when something, again, is bullshit. They're not going to buy something just because it says it uses PCR plastic or PCR paper. It has to mean something more to them. Got it. The other theme, and I find this one really interesting because as I've been immersing myself more in the beauty industry ever since you joined us, Priya, and ever since I've been paying more attention to this space, I've just realized how many different beauty brands there are. I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? You said there's, you know, new sexual wellness brands launching every day. It feels like there's new brands of all stripes in the beauty industry launching every day. Everybody wants to launch a beauty brand. Every celebrity seems to have a beauty brand. Every big conglomerate wants to acquire new beauty brands and scale them up. But like to really be successful, to really get that level of scale What do you need to do? Because there's going to be way more of these brands that can't reach the scale, which enables them to be profitable and sustainable over the long time. Then there are going to be the ones that manage to break through. What makes the ones break through? It's a great question because I still think that many brands do not understand this. What we realize now is that it's so important to have focus, that these brands zero in on their core competency whether it's skincare, hair care, makeup, whatever it is, really nail it, really get there with that, and then move on to other categories. I think people are jumping from here to there, and their proposition is constantly changing. And that doesn't really resonate with consumers or investors. I think also nailing, and we talked about this a second ago, 
the channel mix is more difficult than ever because you can't own the conversation like you did in 2018. You have to go in with a partner very early. So choosing the right partner or partners here and globally is very important. I think also being very considerate about territories. You know, I think we saw a wave of brands about three or four years ago. Everybody went into China. And then everybody pulled out just like last year because they couldn't understand the dynamic of the difficult economic times, as well as the different platforms they need to be on and who they need to register with in terms of KOLs. One of the things that blew my mind in the State of Fashion Beauty Report is that we looked at about 46 brands in 2017 that had about 50 to 200 million in sales. It's like, at a point where many of these brands are going to get acquired or, you know, they're getting a lot of interest. Five years later, only four of those brands surpassed the 400 million mark. So that just goes to show there is a glut of brands, but the ones that kind of graduate to the next level are very few and far between. And if you look at who those brands are, it's Fenty Beauty, The Ordinary, and Chinese native brands Winona and Adolph. These are massive, massive brands, but all of them stuck to what they know before they kind of dilly-dallied into other areas. Like Fenty was known for color cosmetics until they most recently launched skincare. They didn't try to launch hair care and ingestibles and sexual wellness devices all at once. And so I think the discipline really needs to matter more because there's a lot of great brands that are 50 to $200 million, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a forever brand. I mean, that's very similar to fashion. And like when I'm having a conversation with, an entrepreneur or designer that's building a young fashion business is like always really know your core product, what you are really, really good at. You can worry about building that universe, that fuller universe of products later. But if you don't have one thing you're really known for, one thing you're really good at, one thing you can manufacture at scale to earn good margins, one thing that the retailers are constantly seeking out from you and customers as well, then you never really manage to scale your business. You can't be good at everything. I think that's true. And I think some of it does come from the pressures of the retailers. You know, retailers want them to get more shelf space or kind of say, this is the number one item in the overall category. Why don't you make an eyeliner? Why don't you make a lipstick? But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be good at it. Exactly. And I think part of the discipline of being an entrepreneur is finding that way to focus and knowing Despite the questions that are being asked of you from different stakeholders and constituencies out there, sticking to your guns and knowing what you're good at. Okay, the last theme, which is very relevant for all those entrepreneurs, is around M&A. And like in the last few months, we've seen a ton of M&A deals in the industry. Most recently, L'Oreal acquired Aesop. We saw the acquisitions of Byredo, Miel Organics, a whole bunch of different brands, some of whom, by the way, will also be coming and speaking at our global forum at the end of the month. What is going on in the M&A market? What did we mean by M&A recalibrated? Well, like I said at the beginning of the conversation, Imran, I think deal-making is going to be fast and furious, but I think it's going to be smaller deals, a focus on profitability there's going to be a lot more stipulations to get that deal done than I think we saw maybe in 2019 or 2018. Last year, we saw less than half of the deals done in 2019. And I think that's because investors, strategics are being much more considered about what they're buying. When Tatcha and Drunk Elephant went to market in 2018, those were outsized numbers. You know, I think Tatcha traded for about 500 million, Drunk Elephant for almost 900 million. 
those deals are fewer and far between. ASOP is an exception, Byredo is an exception, but I think overall, conglomerates don't wanna just bet everything on one horse. They know how risky that is. They know that there are so many assets out there and they wanna make smaller deals with the money they have. And I think you're starting to see that, you know, L'Oreal bought Youth to the People, they bought Skin Better Science in the last two years, and then they went really big on ASOP. So I think that Beauty M&A is going to continue to be attractive for both strategics and investors. And conglomerates know they need to diversify their portfolios, but they want to do with more and they want to do it under more stringent circumstances. I think profitability is going to come into play much more. I think that's across the businesses out there in consumer goods, but we can't just rely on retail numbers and revenue anymore. And I think that's where a lot of beauty brands have gotten into trouble. They've grown to the certain point. They've taken down tons of money And then what's their exit options? I mean, we've seen how it goes with IPOs and beauty. It's not so great. And that doesn't always work out. So they need to be more willing, I think, to accept the number that they're being given. And I think that's why a lot of brands went on market last year and took themselves off market and now they're in market again. And that necessarily doesn't look so good for the bottom number that they're actually trying to get. So valuations are going to be lower. There's going to be focus on smaller more frequent deals than looking for like the big billion dollar exit. I think so. And I think also founders need to get more realistic, if I'm being honest. I think even the 400 to 600 million mark is very, very high for a lot of conglomerates and private equity firms. And so I understand wanting to get the best number for your asset, but then maybe you need to hold out to 2024 because 2023 is going to be kind of a dogged year. Well, that's a really great recap of the report. And if anyone wants to download the full 80-page analysis that Priya and our team at BOF have worked on with McKinsey, then, you know, please find a link in the episode notes. I'd be remiss, Priya, if I didn't ask you about what you're most looking forward to at the Global Forum happening on May 30th and 31st. What are you excited about? What am I not excited about? I mean, I am just so pumped. Everything about it, I feel like the way that this has come together has been so exciting. I think it's going to be a truly global experience, which I think you can't say at many other beauty conferences out there in the market. And the caliber of people that are going to be there, I mean, Falguni from Nika, Jean-Andre from Sephora, Ben Gorham from Byredo. I mean, getting all of these people in a room was a task in itself. But I think the content is really going to be great. And I can't wait to see everyone there. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you there. And thank you again for all the hard work that you've put into the report and the forum. I think for our first ever global event focused on the beauty industry, we have a lot of fodder for those conversations that are going to happen on stage and off stage. And for everyone listening, I really encourage you to download the State of Fashion Beauty Report and sign up for the Business of Beauty Global Forum. They're both really essential resources for anyone working in the global beauty industry. So thank you, Priya, for your time today. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you on the BOF podcast sometime soon. Bye. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. 
The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify, in-store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23. BOF Podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark and Eric Bria in the BOF studio team.